Hello and welcome to the Thursday, March 21st edition of Inside the Post-Dispatch, the podcast that brings you behind the scenes of the Post-Dispatch newsroom. I'm Bryce Gray, and I'll be your host this week. First, a reminder that you can find all our podcasts on our website at stltoday.com podcasts or through podcast apps on iTunes or Google Play. Joining me today is crime reporter Christine Byers, who will discuss her recent story about who investigates after police shootings in St. Louis. A seemingly simple question with answers that apparently are anything but. As she found, it's, quote, almost anyone's guess about who handles that aspect of police oversight in St. Louis, despite some reforms adopted in 2014 immediately after Ferguson. Christine, thanks for being here and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Bryce. Glad to do it. So I guess to just jump in, um, can you address the question that is phrased in the very headline of the story here? So, you know, briefly fill us in on what happens after a police shooting uh, in St. Louis, who looks into it, and kind of where do things go from there with findings? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, First and foremost, though, I just need to address the fact that I am dealing with a cold at the moment, so pardon me if my voice sounds... uh, pretty authentic crime reporter today. So, um, But for when there's a police shooting in the city of St. Louis, um, what is supposed to happen is that a special unit called the Force Investigation Unit is supposed to arrive at the scene. Um, this unit is devoted solely to investigating police shootings. And um, they're supposed to arrive on the scene and take command of the scene. And um, over the years, prosecutors have vowed to also arrive at the scene. And uh, sometimes, however, that's hit or miss. It depends on the staffing, um, according to Kim Gardner's office, if someone's available to to come or not. And um, so basically, the Force Investigation Unit is in charge of the crime scene and in charge of where the officers are taken, when they're interviewed, they're supposed to set the pace and the tone for how the investigation is to proceed. Gotcha. Um, and so based on your story, it sounds like things are sort of supposed to be different or at least handled more consistently than they are uh, based largely on these reforms that were went into place uh, shortly after Ferguson in 2014. Um, so I guess can you remind us sort of what those – procedures were and what they were hoping to accomplish? Sure. So at the time, um, actually, it was back several administrations ago under um, Chief Isom. He commissioned a study with the University of Missouri uh, St. Louis campus and a criminologist named David Klinger, who is an expert in police use of force, former officer himself who was used in a who was actually involved in a use of force incident himself. Um, He basically studied the protocol and how police shootings investigations were handled in St. Louis. And out of that study, he made several recommendations. Some were um, more tactical related and suggestions on how to better train officers and sort of learn from each situation. But the most important recommendations he made were how the investigations should proceed. And he suggested the formation of a special unit, which ultimately became the force investigation unit, that would only handle them because at the time, the homicide unit was handling all police shootings. And the homicide unit, as we know in the city of St. Louis, is a very busy unit. Mm -hmm. And so 
um, they would do these police shooting investigations and they would determine whether or not to hand over the reports to the prosecutors for review. So a lot of times the review, if you will, that took place just start started and stopped with the homicide unit. So <clears throat> he essentially made the recommendation that that practice is not the best practice, that every police shooting, whether um, it's without question justified or, or not, should be reviewed by prosecutors. So out of that came this specially trained force investigation unit. All the members of it, you know, underwent training nationally. They spent thousands of dollars um, to educate these investigators on what to look for in police shootings and why they're different than an average homicide investigation and, and, and also the need for um, the impartial review. In other words, they didn't come to a conclusion as to whether or not this was a justified shooting. They were simply there to investigate, and that was it. Um, and then they were to hand over their findings to prosecutors without a recommendation either way on charging the officer or not to ensure that prosecutors were the ones that made that decision. That was how it was launched. And so, like I mentioned, this started off, you know, several administrations before Ferguson even happened. Mm -hmm. So it was incredibly good timing um, that it was ready to launch right after the police shooting in Ferguson mm -hmm. cast a national spotlight on this issue. So St. Louis was locked and loaded and ready to launch this unit that was supposed to basically give unprecedented amounts of information to the public um, about police shootings that had never been done before. We, all these reports from this unit were supposed to be made public. Officers were supposed to be named. Prosecutors vowed to release their own reports and investigations after reviewing these cases. Um, there was a lot of expectations out there as to how this was going to change things. And what I found in this report is instead, this unit has now conducted 63 investigations since its formation in 2014. Of those 63 investigations, roughly 46 of them are complete and have been turned over to prosecutors for review. Of those 46 cases, only five of them have been ruled upon by prosecutors. We only knew of three of them uh, up until my story because they were handled like I had described in terms of being very publicly discussed and released and all of those things. The other two that were handled recently under a new prosecutor, they were ruled upon in court filings because those people that had been shot by police officers were being prosecuted for assault on a law enforcement officer. They survived. And as a result, um, the police officers needed to testify and were refusing to do so until prosecutors could rule on whether or not their shootings were justified. So um, that's in four and a half years, roughly, we now only have answers and resolution to five of 63 cases. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for clarifying that. Uh, so these reforms uh, were in the works for years and they just clicked into place coincidentally right after Ferguson. But um, uh, so I guess I'm curious, though. Um, 
So you mentioned we only have resolution on this small handful of cases. Um, uh, is there a reason, I guess, why why that's been the case and why it sounds like there hasn't really been the consistency that these reforms were trying to achieve? Uh, you know, does it come down to just, uh, you know, a bottleneck, for instance, that, you know, the prosecutors are dealing with? Or, uh, uh, I don't know, are there other things that trip these up uh, as they proceed? You know, it depends on who you ask. Uh, mm-hmm. As for the reasons behind why this process has been so inconsistent, um, <clears throat> excuse me, prosecutors have said um, that there are delays from the police department in getting them the reports they need to make their conclusions. The police department has said prosecutors are not available to receive those reports. They don't know who to go to. They don't know who to talk to. Um, So they're definitely, you know, there's tension on both sides. I think one of the most important things, though, too, is that administrations have changed uh, over these last four and a half years drastically. We have new police chiefs and new prosecutors in place that um, were not part of the original formation. And um, so it seems as though every shooting right now is kind of being handled differently than the one before. Now, I think it's unfair to say that every police shooting should happen um, the same. I think that's unrealistic. I think it's a case-by-case basis. Mm -hmm. But to differ this drastically... Um, in other communities where they have yeah, they have established protocols in place on police shootings and how they're to be handled, certainly there's differences in some timing issues. Let's say, for example, there's video of a police shooting. They may wait to release that video depending upon witness testimony. They don't want to taint it, so they will withhold it for longer maybe than other cases where it's not necessary. So there's going to be things, there's going to be inconsistencies like that, but not when it comes to four and a half years, 63 cases, and we only know about five that mm-hmm. have been decided upon. It doesn't take four and a half years to figure these things out. Yeah. Um, so your story mentioned uh, Los Angeles as at least one other place where things are done a little differently, apparently. So can you uh, elaborate sort of on a comparison of us versus other cities, you know? Uh, are there clear-cut success stories elsewhere? And, you know, where do we fall on the spectrum, I suppose? Certainly. I mean, um, the experts that I talked to, again, going back to David Klinger with the University of Missouri-St. Louis, who did the study, <coughs> excuse me, he um, he talked about Los Angeles being an example of a community that established a different protocol for police shootings a long time ago and has pretty much stuck with it. And in fact, Um, It's become more transparent since Ferguson, as a lot of things have on police shootings, with, I think, police leaders realizing the need to share information with the public that very much deserves to know why a police officer felt the need to take someone's life. Um, And so in in Los Angeles, for example, when there is a police shooting, um, the gentleman I spoke to who was a former member of the team of the force investigation equivalent they have there um, kind of joked, and he said it's like a clown car pulls up to these scenes, um, basically with all the amounts of people that are involved in the review. There's the prosecutors that are arrive, that are expected to arrive at every single scene. There's the force investigation unit that is expected to arrive, and then there's also an internal affairs component to it, 
<clears throat> that is going to look at whether or not department policies were followed. And everyone has very clear um, expectations of the role that everyone is supposed to play. So it kind of looks like a lot of chaos is what he described, but everybody knows their role. And more importantly, he said the public has come to expect certain level of transparency right away. Again, going back to the video analogy, you know, they have set guidelines as to, um, you know, within 30 days, we're going to release X, Y, and Z. Um, the force investigation unit has 90 days to complete their um, reports. Mm -hmm. And prosecutors have, I'm not sure offhand, but they have a certain set of um, uh, amount of time. All of this stuff is put on the department's website, very accessible to people in the media. Um, now, whether it's a success case out there, Hard to say. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. we're not out there. I'm not with the LA Times, so I'm not covering their mm -hmm. department. Um, but certainly, it seemed from his perspective, at least, this is how we're doing it here, you know, and other communities come there to learn how they do it. I know St. Louis officers for the Force Investigation Unit, when they were doing their training, um, there's a whole conglomerate of these types of investigators out there nationally. I mean, they have conventions and that sort of thing because they're all learning from each other how to do these things. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't say St. Louis is necessarily at the bottom of the barrel because we have a force. The, fast, the fact that we have a force investigation unit is is good. Um, industry standard, really, at this point, I would say. Um, but definitely compared to the others in the country, it seems that the processes are very inconsistent still to this day. And that's another thing to mention, too, is when I said administrations changed over the years, so has the force investigation unit itself. Um, the detectives that started it and um, everything like that have completely turned over. So there's a whole new unit in place as well. Mm -hmm. uh, the clown car was a, a good quote and... Uh um, I guess makes me wonder, you know, is it difficult uh, either both logistically or in terms of funding to uh, kind of assemble these, you know, well-rounded teams, I guess, that are going to, you know, not only work towards the, these answers quickly, but, you know, in ways that are transparent and everything. Um, in other words, you know, is this easier said than done to delegate this type of oversight? Um, I mean, your story mentioned Kim Gardner, uh, circuit attorney here in St. Louis. Her office has sought an extra 1.2 million, I think it was, for uh, uh, to kind of take on this sort of work, but that uh, effort of hers has has stalled uh, um, and I guess been turned down apparently in the past. So, um, so yeah, is it easier said than done? Are there logistical or budgetary things that that hold us back from uh, maybe making improvements in these areas? Um, well, that's a great question. I mean, from the prosecutor standpoint too. Um you know, from what I was told as far as is there a prosecutor that goes to every shooting as originally promised several years ago? And the answer was they go when they're available. So that kind of tells me there's some logistical issue right there on their part. Um, <clears throat> and as far as her wanting to form her own unit, I mean, that is a national discussion going on that no matter how much you train these so-called force investigation units to be the experts, um, there's still the police investigating the police in these departments. They're investigating themselves, and that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. How could you possibly be impartial when you're investigating your own colleagues? But the truth of the matter is, 
even if there's a separate unit created that is run by prosecutors, that um, is run by the attorney general, I'm just trying to think of all the, you know, theories I've heard, like how it should be done. No matter what, at the end of the day, it's still going to be the police investigating the police. There's no way around that. There simply mm-hmm. isn't. I mean, they're the only ones that have this particular set of expertise to investigate a crime scene. So no matter how it's run or who's running it, it's still going to be police officers investigating police officers. So I'm I'm just not sure that it's ever going to be satisfactory for those in the public that just simply mistrust the police to mistrust the police. And that's it. So I think, though, having inconsistencies with the way it's being done now isn't helping that cause because it's not it's showing that even when it's set up this way the public still doesn't know what to expect yeah mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I guess let's talk briefly about a couple high profile cases so your story mentioned that you know these procedures have kind of bubbled up to the surface thanks to some recent uh, cases including um, what our readers I suppose would would know as kind of the Russian roulette case here where uh, an on-duty and an off-duty op- officer got together, uh, and one of them ended up dead with a gunshot wound. Um, uh, and I guess during that investigation, as you reported, blood was not drawn from them for drug testing. Um, I was also curious, though, about uh, the controversial Jason Stockley case, which happened in 2011, so before these procedures would have been in place. Um, but I guess in both of these cases, I was just wondering, oh, well, actually, I guess first with Jason Stockley, did that incident factor into, uh, I guess, the call for these reforms to come to be in the first place? The effort to study the issue and come up with a new way to do things was already underway when Jason Stockley, um, when the Jason Stockley shooting happened in 2011. Mm-hmm. But it certainly was a shooting that... Um, put the department out of its comfort zone because in that particular shooting, um, the the investigation was taken away from the homicide unit and given to the FBI at the request of the police chief. It was simply a shooting that, in his opinion, uh, needed an outside review. So he turned at that point in time in 2011 to the FBI. Um, So the FBI did their own investigation of the shooting and um, consulted with the Department of Justice and the U.S. Attorney. And upon completion of that investigation, which took nine months, um, the U.S. prosecutor uh, decided um, that it was a justified shooting and that um, the Department of Justice also determined his civil rights had not been violated. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really the end of it, um, of course, until many years later, which we can do a whole nother podcast on Mm -hmm. as to how that came about. But um, that was certainly a departure from the way things were done um, at that point in time because the FBI was involved. Mm, Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I guess to circle back to the question I was initially getting at before branching off there, um, I was wondering, you know, if either of those high profile cases happened again, you know, today or tomorrow, I suppose, you know, could the same investigation potentially unfold, uh, you know, if if officers looking into it were going by the book. Um, you know, in other words, I guess, what is there uh, something in place now that would prevent, um, I don't know, uh, you know, some of these 
points of controversy uh, controversy from popping up again? Um, and that's really the jury's still out on that question mm-hmm. because um, if you look at the most recent one, like you had mentioned, the the so-called Russian roulette-like uh, shooting that happened between those mm-hmm. two officers, <coughs> that one illustrated uh, the inconsistencies better than any that I can recall in the last four and a half years um, because, like you said, the, the blood draw wasn't done and then you saw the police department uh, come out against the prosecutor and they were, like, swinging at each other about, you know, well, you're trying to hinder our investigation. No, you are. No, you don't know what you're talking about. And it's like when I um, talked to the experts out in L.A. about the scenario, they're like, see, those are the types of small but in very, very important issues that everyone should already know before they get to that moment. A prosecutor shouldn't be asking a police officer, can I get a search warrant for a blood draw? That should be already known and established, and that police officer should know the answer as well. So I think that kind of illustrated at that micro level on such a critical matter in a, in a moment like that, both sides really weren't sure what to do. Um, and so mm-hmm. we had this very public uh, dispute between the police chief and the prosecutor over the matter. And then the prosecuting attorney brought in the highway patrol saying mm-hmm. that she wanted them to investigate the shooting, which has never been done before. Yeah. And we still don't know exactly what the highway patrol did. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously you cover police uh, matters as closely as anyone. I was curious if in the course of reporting this story, uh, did anything surprise you, I guess, uh, either about sort of, you know, what you've found or other things you've learned throughout the process? You know, honestly, I've got to say that the numbers did surprise me. I didn't realize that there had been 63 cases this unit has been involved in and that only five have come to a resolution. I mean, that was that was shocking. Back when the homicide unit was doing it, um, it even though the, the shooting investigations were getting done and, and perhaps resolved in a way that the public didn't sit well with the public then, at least things were getting done, reports were being closed and finalized, and people were moving on. Um, you know, 63 cases involves an, unpress, uh, an un- amount of people both police officers and families of of people that have been um, shot by the police that are still waiting to know what happened. Um, and so it's as well as the public is still waiting to know. So mm-hmm. that was surprising to me, just the amount of, um, of cases that are out there. And then plus the department also said, that uh, the 46 cases that they have completed the investigations for all happened before 2018. Hmm. So that means all of the cases from 2018 and 19, which, you know, we're talking probably about a dozen or so. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot, but still a significant amount of people when yeah. you look at mm-hmm. even just one shooting. Th- that's over a year old. Mm-hmm. So what's taking so long? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, that's about all we have time for, even though obviously this is a a topic that, uh, you know, we've probably just scratched the tip of the iceberg here. But um, 
but thanks again for all the great work on this, Christine. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have a, a follow-up conversation on it before too long. Uh, just a reminder, though, in the meantime, to our listeners, uh, you can find this and all our other podcasts online at stltoday.com slash podcasts or again on podcast apps on iTunes or Google Play. Uh, Once again, I'm Bryce Gray. Thanks again for listening, and as always, uh, feel free to subscribe uh, to support Christine's great work and the other work done here at the Post-Dispatch. Thanks again for listening to Inside the Post-Dispatch.